Hello from Dartmouth College. I'm Lee Coffin, Vice Provost for Enrollment and Dean of Admission, and welcome to The Search. next episode shares how to find the college that's right for you during this stay-at-home spring. We're going to be talking about what I call the three P's, program, place, and people. And then the fourth P, price, will come in a future episode. Um, these, are the, these are the macro issues you should be looking for in a school. I'm joined today by two friends and colleagues who know how to launch a search and how to make it individualized. David Clark is the executive director at Malachi Academy in Hawaii and a former director of college counseling at two Boston area independent schools. David grabs the pod mic from his sunny perch on Hawaii's big island. Makes me reflect on my own perch at the island in my kitchen. And I think there's a big difference between those two, those two types of island. And we're also joined by Kate Boyle Ramsdell, director of college counseling at Noble and Greeno School which is an independent school in Dedham, Massachusetts. So thanks guys for joining this conversation with me. Um, Kate, I, last time I saw you in person, uh, I was at Noble and Greeno, Nobles to those of you in the Boston area, uh, in February for your annual junior college program for parents. And I was one of the four deans you invited to be on your panel that kicked off the junior spring at your school. Um, and in some ways, I think back to February 2nd, and I think, wow, so much has changed in those 10 weeks. And yet, the fundamentals are the same. I mean, the college search still unfolds in the same fundamental way. And I'm wondering, what, what are you seeing, Kate, at Nobles as you've switched to a Zoom format with your junior parents and kids? And how are you taking the advice we gave you in February and translating it to uh, a remote search? Um, such a good question. I mean, I think, you know, you boil the search down to the three Ps, which we have then taken and used at Nobles to sort oh. of frame the way that we do the search. You always lifted my Ps. That's always fun. attributedly, yeah. always yeah, attributed, you. but the people, the place, and the program. And so, you know, in a fundamental way, I don't think that has changed at all. When you left us in early February, we were working with kids to start to hone their key criteria and just think a little bit about how they were going to begin to build lists. Um, you know, and I would say, the, you know, so much of the work that we do, we can do remotely. You know, we've, yeah. we've done it remotely for a long time in this in the summer. What's the key criteria? So when you when you tell the students to focus on the key criteria for either you or David, like what, what kind of things do you point them to at the beginning. I mean, they come in mm -hmm. wide-eyed and nervous. There are these little Bambies kind of at the, at the starting line. What, what helps get them started? Yeah, that's it. Uh, David, you can chime in too, but we think about sort of six or seven different pieces of the puzzle that we then end up calling their negotiables later. So we can talk about that in a little while, but um, we talk about location and geography, size of institution, uh, the academic and co-curricular program, whether or not they have special interests like athletics, the arts, engineering, something that's really gonna direct their search. Um, we call the big squishy bucket of school culture, something mm. that's probably harder to wrap their heads around, but it could include 
uh, sectarian or non-sectarian school, fraternities and sorority life, um, HBCUs, you know, there's all different ways that they could think about school culture. Uh, cost and aid is a significant bucket for, for a good group of our families. And then the criteria that we don't touch until a little bit later when we have more data, and that's going to be interesting this year, is selectivity. Yeah. So, you know, we so try to get them. You. Yeah, let me just jump in. So when you call them, why do you call them the negotiables? Because we feel like at the very beginning, some of our kids have strong sense of like one or two things that matter, right? Mm -hmm. And as they go through the search, those evolve and they change. And I'm even thinking about this year, I think geography is going to be this really interesting negotiable where, you know, we might have a lot of kids who say, I want to study abroad or I want to study in California and mm -hmm. the travel climate is going to make that a negotiable or, mm -hmm. you know, one that's, that's often not negotiable at all is cost, right? Yeah. That for some of our kids, cost is the key driver and yeah. getting someplace to meet their full need is never going to be negotiable. So we just think over time, we sort of, we describe them as like buckets. Some of them are more full and mm -hmm. others may be empty for the whole search. Others, you know, you kind of are distributing your preferences. Along well, the it's, I'm, I'm reminded of when I was buying a, a condo, I mean, I went through my list of these are the things the house had to have. And, you know, one of the, mm -hmm. for me, one of the non-negotiables was an outside space and, and I lost that one because <laughs> um, at, at the end I liked something better than that but I thought that was going to be the, the deal breaker for any any place I consider but it's, there's a lot of parallels there as you start to map it. David does that does that kind of lineup of categories make sense from the way you talk about it with kids? Oh what, what Kate just described is 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 a wonderful construct and a, and a great way of looking at this and and I yes I agree I think what's really neat about about this job in a lot of ways is when you start with a new junior class you get to meet all these individuals and you not only are looking for what's important to them but you're trying to help them understand what's important to them too and that's emerging and changing and the more sort of conversation that you can have or the more research a student does um, or the more reflection time they have where they get to identify what's essential for them, what's negotiable, as Kate says, um, you know, what's, what's just a nice preference uh, mm -hmm. versus no, this is essential for me to yeah. go and spend four years at a place um, that th th this is essential. And so it's, it's neat to get to know these individual kids and, and sort of see the ingredients that, uh, that make up their college search. And, th and that continues to change over time too. Um, they and may at the beginning, like what do you, does one of those factors, I mean, there's, you mentioned the three P's. I've been saying the fourth P is price. Mm -hmm. And there's a fifth P that we don't want to talk about. And the fifth P is prestige. Yep. <laughs> um, and I'm guessing at the beginning of a search that that naughty P, that fifth P, kind of comes into the mix a lot at the beginning. Yeah, that's why we put it seventh, because we're trying <laughs> to figure out how to get people not to go straight to selectivity, right? Yeah, but right. It's, but it's, it's hard. I mean, I think our, our, the name recognition of places and the climate that I work in, and you know, many of us do, it just, that's sort of the first thing people want to jump to is where can I get in? Yeah. You know? And how do you back them up? We, we have to work hard at it. I don't know about David, but I, but I think a part of it is the more we can get kids to reflect and think about what matters to them, the better we are equipped to, to share a broader list of colleges that will fit, that we think fit, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I don't know. I think when you do this work for a long time, 
you can crystal ball a lot of things. And you can sort of say, like, I know that today, Dartmouth College may be your number one, but, you know, if you're lucky, you're getting in, but all my data and all my, you know, anecdotal information is going to suggest you're not. So I'm going to think about other kids who have been like you in the past and maybe where they've landed. Um, I, I think what's interesting about the prestige question that you're bringing up, um, so I think so many people come into this process assuming that the goal is to get into the highest ranked school that one possibly can, right? That, that, that that's how you win at this game. And I think someone in Kate's position or in my position um, understand that figuring out what that rank, what that ranked list is, um, is, a, is a personal endeavor. And to the degree that we can steer families away from looking at, let's say, a, a magazine's um, criteria for ranking colleges and instead say, I, you know, I don't mind a ranked list, but let's have it be made up of your criteria, yeah. not what an editor at a magazine thinks, because it's going to be you going to this school. And so, so well, it's interesting. So well, you're sort of, you're just kind of imagining the student as an editor saying, here's my list of negotiables. Right. Here's my own weights and measures on each of these factors. And then you as the counselor kind of come in and say, let me give you some evidence to help you assess, you know, A versus B, C versus D, and then sort it. You know, and what's been interesting for me over the years, I was just thinking about this as you were talking, David, is that the, the, the group of people whose kids have been best at moving away from prestige at the beginning have been my colleagues' kids, so teachers' children. Oh, interesting. Um, in some ways, because I think teachers see education as being so much bigger than just the rank, right? Huh. So anyway, I don't know. It's like I'm, I've, I've often tried to figure out how can I bottle that attitude and, and share it more widely, mm -hmm. you know, and getting people really to think about kind of the, the quality of a place doesn't always correlate with its rank. So, so play, so the naughty P we're going to set aside for a second. So the other P place, um, you know, my kind of anecdotal experience when I see juniors is they'll say things like, yeah, I, I want to go as far from home as I can get. <laughs> and so, you know, place kind of begins the sorting of, do I want New England? Do I want, I was in Florida this winter doing a junior program in a student came up to me and she said, I have never experienced snow. And I said, oh, well, I said, you know, th that's going to be a new adventure for you. And she said, is it better if I visit the school in the winter or in the summer? I said, well, in the summer, New England is going to feel like Florida. So maybe the best time to go to New England is when you have to wear a coat and see if you like it. And she said, oh, I hadn't really thought about it that way. I said, because you may love it or you may run screaming back to Florida and your list around place is gonna shift um, towards those places in more warm climates. But let me go um, to something you, you said a minute ago, Kate, around um, helping them understand what, who they are and what they're looking for. Like, what's the first step? Is it, do you have a survey? Do they fill out a self-evaluation? Um, what's, the, what's the mechanism that you would offer a student and parents about getting this list started and how can we translate that for our stay-at-home friends who um, might might need to do a self-initiated list yeah yeah no we do we do something we've, we've changed the name over it over years but we now call it a self-reflection jumpstart sort of this <laughs> used to be a self-evaluation questionnaire and that felt so serious and evaluative right and so we're trying to find ways to for kids and actually what we've started to do is 
um, even, you know, sort of mask them, but use supplemental questions from lots of different colleges so that kids are almost thinking about the things that colleges might want them to. What communities have been important to you? Um, you know, list a couple of things that you've read or watched in the last year that have been really interesting and tell us why. Um, you know, so it's, it's not so much just sort of what do you love to do, but trying to get more texture behind mm -hmm. those answers. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, we also help them to put together a little bit of a resume. And I always say that has three purposes. You know, one is that you're taking an inventory of what you've done. And, and I have a lot of kids who are pleasantly surprised by how much they've done. They start to, as this process sort of comes to them, they think I'm not good enough. And then that's like a nice reminder that no, they have lots to talk about. Um, and after that, I say, you know, you might formalize this and share it with a college when you apply. And you're certainly going to use it if you apply for a summer job or if you go for an interview. It's a really nice way to introduce yourself um, or even to share with a teacher who's going to write you a recommendation. So I think that's a nice way to sort of get them to do some self-reflection um, but in a mode where they're like doing, so it doesn't feel like it, it's, it's maybe quite as cumbersome actually than sitting mm -hmm. and writing an essay or, mm -hmm. or talking about it. That idea of figuring out what one's priorities are, um, it, it can come from questions, uh, asking them to reflect on what their current um, educational institution, their school is like, what they've liked and not liked, and that might provide some insight into what they may or may not be looking for in a college experience. And so asking them to reflect on that and then capturing all those things that they do through the extracurricular list that you ask them to put down um, can be really helpful because then, then if you're sitting across from that student or you're sitting on a Zoom call perhaps with someone, um, you can say, okay, I see that you've played four years of volleyball. Is playing volleyball something that you really wanna do when you get to college? And they may or may not have thought about that. For some, it's really clear. Yes, this is my sport. I know I wanna do this. I'm in touch with a coach um, at the college level. And other people, it, it's, it becomes something that, well, it would be nice to do, but it's not essential for me. Mm -hmm. Right. And so um, the buckets you were sort of talking about before um, and how negotiable the, the, the contents of those buckets are. Um, but how I think do you start to find the answer to the buckets, though, like what's that you have your list, you 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 worked your way through a self-evaluation of sorts. And how does a student or parents in assist, um, how does the list start to get generated? I mean, I think, you know, it's funny. One of the things that our kids say, yes, they want to go in the middle of winter somewhere warm, but then they want to go to the biggest school they can find because they've been at a school with a class of 125 kids and mm -hmm. all they want is something different. And yet I think where we, where we lean in on that is to say, yeah, but what do you, to David's point, what do you love about this place? I love my relationships with people. I love my teachers. I love discussions, you know? So it's kind of like, you know, back to that idea of, this, this imagining of what college should be and then like what's actually a good fit for you is a really interesting walk, I think, for kids. You know, it, I think it depends on the kid. It's like special interests. Like we don't have to talk about that for a long time, but for some of our kids, David pointed to athletic recruiting or I think about kids who'd like to play in an orchestra or perhaps want to do theater at a high level. That's going to almost build their list for them. Mm -hmm. You know, and the, and the hard thing there is you say, well, what if you break your leg or what if you decide that you're never going to sing again or, you know, whatever that looks like. And, and I think for a lot of kids, that's almost impossible to do that exercise at this stage in their lives. So we, again, have to kind of like revisit and push and say, okay, well, your season is, is three months of the year, four or five months of the year. 
but you know, you're growing and changing and you, you may play that for four years, but what if you change your mind? Mm-hmm. You know, How do you redirect that? So, I, I mean, I, I, in my earlier career would do college fairs and students would come up to my table and say, you know, I want to study cognitive neuroscience. And I'd say, how do you know? Like we have that, but how do you know so specifically that that's your major? Mm-hmm. Um, that's program. I would say that that sometimes stems out of a conversation about what have your favorite classes been mm-hmm. at your current school? Um, how have you interacted with your biology teacher? Um, you know, oftentimes they don't have access to the electives or the sort of um, uh, the more specialized fields within a broad category mm-hmm. like biology or, or even broader science. Um, and so to get at, at, you know, part of the, the research that, that, I urge students to do is to read on a college's website um, about the different majors that might appeal to them. And some of those colleges really lay out what the experience might be, what the four-year experience might be like if you are studying cognitive neuroscience, um, what classes you might have access to. Um, and so for someone who comes in really clear that, they, that they're fascinated by this and they want to explore this or they want to major in this, um, I, I will sometimes then direct them or sometimes pull up a college's uh, website, a departmental webpage, um, and we might look through it together, right? Mm-hmm. Or I might ask them to look, compare two different colleges and look at the cognitive neuroscience major at both and, and be able to come back and, tell, and, and talk to me about what some of the differences are. Well, David, you're pointing them to something really practical because I even, you know, in a, a non-stay-at-home moment, I will often advise juniors and seniors to use the departmental websites at the colleges on their list to look, you know, you might want to be an English major. So something um, that seems pretty straightforward, but I say, but are you a writer? Are you interested Mm -hmm. in Shakespeare? Are you interested in creative writing with a focus on feminist poetry? Like each Mm -hmm. of those is a really different path through a major in English and departments might have a specialty one way or the other that, Mm-hmm. By poking around, seeing who's on the faculty, what courses they teach, can you add up ten or twelve of those courses into a major? And if you can't, that's insightful. Um, so, Kate and David, uh, sticking with the the three P's of place, program, people, um, the list starts to get framed around those big building blocks. How many places should be on an initial list? five, 10, 25? I, I, you know, I like to sort of err on the side of not overwhelming somebody at the beginning. So, you know, to me, that would mean 15, maybe 20, you know, depending on sort of how focused they are on selectivity and stacking the top of their list with really far reach schools. And I've got to keep shoving these sort of more possible and likely schools into the mix. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think if you go fewer than that, at least in my community, you're just not exposing kids to enough. Mm-hmm. You know, and my idea at this stage is really sort of this notion of like exposure. Um, you know, I certainly work with kids who say, I just have no idea. I have yeah. no idea what I want to study. I don't know how big it should be. I don't know if I can or want to go far away from home. You know, mm-hmm. and so in that case, sometimes we're, you know, we have the benefit of being in the Boston area, but we might say to our kids, let's just pick three schools here, one mm-hmm. large urban university one state university, and then, you know, one small liberal arts college, mm-hmm. you know, so you, you could do it that way too, and just have a little bit of a more micro comparison. Mm-hmm. And then if one resonates, you'd kind of build off of that 
yes, reaction. That's right. Okay, that makes sense. And how about does does the fourth P of price and affordability does that enter in at this early stage, or is that uh, kind of an act two consideration? Um, I I would say like most most of the criteria, it really depends on the student in front of you. Mm -hmm. um, you know if. If you have the chance to do a questionnaire um, and you ask about whether financial aid uh, is going to be a, a key part of their process, then I think it's important to talk about affordability and talk about the way in which a college administers financial aid or what may be available to that student um, can be really important from the get-go for some, um, as important as uh, place, right, mm -hmm. the, uh, or um, the other piece that you talked about. Yeah, mm -hmm. you know, we often say to the parents and guardians that we you know, see or interact with that for some kids, it's unbelievably obvious from the outset that financial aid is going to be part of their process. There's no question. It's not, you know, but there are other kids for whom it's less obvious, mm -hmm. you know, and I've had the, some of the most difficult and, you know, just saddest conversations when a parent reveals at the very end of the process that money matters. Mm -hmm. And so a student who's gotten into three schools and one of them is absolutely their favorite and then the parent says, I'm sorry, we can't afford to send you, you know, and I just think of how much, you know, how much more fruitful a conversation could have been like a year before that or two mm -hmm. years before that to say this is a really key driver for our family. So is that where the calculators come in? Yes. Net price calculator and my intuition are yeah. so mm -hmm. incredible. So can you explain those two resources? Sure. <laughs> um, net, uh, every college has a net price calculator um, and you put in, it takes about a half an hour, I think, to do. But David or Lee, you could correct me if I'm wrong um, and ask you for about five or six pieces of data um, about your financial situation. And we'll ballpark for you what your aid package might look like at that particular school. Um, I know with my intuition, it's a little bit of a step back of you from, I don't know, let's call it 100,000 feet. Um, and it only takes about three pieces of data and you get a, you get a slightly broader look um, at what you might be doing. But I always say to my families, if they're applying for aid or even wondering if they might qualify or not, just to pick five schools, again, state university, you know, a selective liberal arts college, a medium-sized research university, and do a little bit of comparing and start to get sort of lay of the land. So as these peas start to swirl around each other, sometimes complimenting, sometimes in conflict, the list starts to shift. Um, you know, I often tell a story about going off on a visit with my dad and we were visiting schools in upstate New York, grew up in Connecticut. And as we were driving along, I started getting this really um, queasy feeling about location that I didn't have when my search began. And for me, you know, that the, my quip was, oh my God, dad, there's just too many freaking cows. And I like <laughs> started to really dial into what became a more urban signature of my search. And it wasn't that the schools we were visiting weren't wonderful. I had this like light bulb moment of like, oh, I kind of came back and re-looked at like where I was thinking about applying based on the, that really early journey. This spring, you know, that drive with dad in the station wagon through upstate New York, can happen. You just can't get out of the car. Um, uh, so I guess there's some positive there. I mean, if you're within driving distance of a college campus, you do have an opportunity to not go on a tour right now, but you can certainly 
drive around and get a feel for, can you see yourself in this particular place? And I remember having a reaction to one of my urban options and it was just too massive and tall. And that didn't feel comfortable with me. And I call this the Goldilocks part of the <laughs> discovery where, you know, I, the search kind of shifts a little bit as you feel it. Um, uh, how do you feel it through this virtual space that like, what, what are your students telling you about checking they're, campuses out? Remotely? They're saying it's, it's, it's it really interesting. I think I'm going to, I'm going to learn a lot actually when we come out of this cycle, because on the one hand, they're talking about how hard it is, right? That it's flat on a screen. And if I, it's sort of the same thing. When I like the guy standing in the corner telling me about the school, I really like the school. It's like the tour guide. Like I like yeah. the tour guide or I don't. Um, but at the same time, I'm actually seeing my kids be way better researchers. Mm -hmm. You know, I have a lot of kids who, when they have resources, they do. They have the ability to get out and go see campuses. And then they, they almost default to the gut. Mm -hmm. Right. And this way, I'm actually watching them gather. We, we built a little framework for our kids about how they could do virtual resources, research and the kinds of things they might be thinking about um, around their key criteria. And then they basically have like a three column rubric where they put the criteria in the middle. And on one side, it says meets. And on the other side, it says doesn't meet. But I think one of the hardest things for a lot of families to do is to layer the key criteria on top of institutional priorities and the reality of the landscape you know and, and when you've been in the work that we've been doing for as long as the three of us have it becomes fairly intuitive and yet it's really complex right yeah. so you know for for some kids they may look at the sheer admit number and say well if that school has an eight percent admit rate and that school has a 22 percent admit rate and that school has a 43 percent admit rate you know, then I have this chance of getting into each of those places when in fact, it may not be that way at all, that there could be, you know, something on the table for that student in particular that makes the place with the 8% admit rate attainable, you know, and whereas for another student because of their sort of background demographics, you know, you know, you name that piece of the puzzle, it's just going to be a more challenging admit. And so I think having and being able to somehow gain some understanding of how a school puts together its community and where you fit into that puzzle and if you fit into that puzzle is really, really important. And, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw out an, uh, an old school recommendation. I think the college guidebook um, written by an objective source, um, someone who, who takes the time to interview students, professors to get the feel of a, the climate of a school um, is a really good resource that this generation um, oftentimes doesn't intuitively think is helpful in the college search. So sometimes recommending a guidebook like, like one that profiles small liberal arts colleges like colleges that change lives can be a really, really nice way of getting the feel for a, for a small school. Mm -hmm. um, and, and there are a number of college guidebooks out there, the Fisk Guide, um, the Insider's Guide to the Colleges, um, and taking time to read those entries is, is a little different than going to a college's website um, and just looking at the departmental offerings. Getting a sense of what students think of that place sort of culled and put into a package where you have a two to three page narrative write-up of, of, of a college, I think can be really useful. Okay, kids, you have some homework. 
You've just heard two college counselors share thoughts on how you get started. You need to do some research. You need to shape a list based on your own preferences and what feels important and perhaps negotiable as you move along through the next few weeks. Uh, take some notes, dig into websites, and most importantly, start to wrap your arms around what Kate called that squishy part of the conversation you're having with yourself. What matters to you? How do you zero in on how your comfort level and your own personality syncs up with the colleges you're exploring? And ultimately, that's what we call fit. You have a fit between who you are and where the college is best representing that version of yourself. So next week, we'll come together with another group of students who will think about fit and how they understood what places were the best fits for them and how they went about articulating that fit to the colleges on their list. So thanks for joining us for this episode of The Search. This podcast is brought to you by Dartmouth College, and we look forward to meeting you again on our next episode. 